for the band leading us in worship today. Oh, oh, I felt like you guys were ready today. I don't know if you've been like cooped up in the house all week. Uh, I had a lot of great things happen to me in the midst of a, a tough week. Man, Corona, I feel like every week is just like pow, 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 pow. Uh, but I'm going to, you know, it's going to be all right. It's, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, uh, one of my friends in the church now works at Cane's. Um, and I was sitting there waiting on my order. They had me like pull over to the side and out comes Case and Mounts. And he's like, he's like, uh, Pastor Tim. And I was like, I look up and I was like, my friend has brought me the glorious bounty of the Canes. That was a great moment. So he said, anytime he's working there, you have free food if you're from Genesis Metro. So you can hit him up about that. It's quite a week, quite a week. I hope you guys are doing all right. I want to say hi and hey, shout out to the online audience. Uh, please, if you love Canes, give a thumbs up in the little message stream, all right, to let us know you are there and you are alive and well. Um, also, uh, this week we're starting a new series called The Light, okay, The Light. So simple, right? The Light. When our kids grow up and they go to the VBS, we have all kinds of these little light songs, right? This little light. Everyone sing with me. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Oh, gosh. Oh, I hope that as we go through this series, you would be considering how you are going to let your light shine. Today, we're going to be specifically looking at a text in the Gospel of Matthew that is an Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled by Jesus. And I want to dissect it because it, it introduces our first week of the interaction between darkness and light. And um, we had some recent uh, inspiration for this message series. Um, sometimes we have sermon series planned out uh, for weeks, months, sometimes a year in advance. We have a series that we're working on and everything is always in a state of construction. And so um, last Sunday night, the elders got together and we just wanted to pray, you know, pray for our church, pray for one another, pray for our future. Um, we're getting ready to add uh, staff over the next uh, couple of months and we're praying for the right people. Uh, we have new people stepping up to our worship team um, that are working out right now, getting those worship muscles uh, tuned up, ready to go. Uh, we have people that have just joined our church that are working in the children's ministry. And so there's so many moving parts and we're praying that God would bless it. And, and you know, I'm just going to be honest with you guys for just a moment here. Okay. This, this whole last, like, you know, uh, six months, how long has it been? We've been in this. It, it's been stressful. I'm telling you like on a personal level, stressful, Stress of trying to figure out the next step. And I don't know if you've ever been in a season where your next step is a struggle. By show of hands, has anybody ever had a season like that? Well, you're not like talking about next week. You're not talking about next year. You're talking about next step. 
And I feel like I've had about three weeks where I'm trying to figure out the next step. So the elders got together and we were going to pray. And uh, one of our sages, old school, Genesis Metro, Senor Paul Galata on the electric. Can we give Paul a round of applause? <laughs> Paul's been here a minute, just a minute, uh, probably 15 years now. And um, he's always good for like a, a poignant word. He doesn't say much, but then it's like, a, I, I call him like a little volcano. Y'all know anybody like that? It's like, it's like you're waiting for it and it's like a pow, you know? So, so we were sitting there and, and he said, Tim, he goes, I think you've taken too much of this on your shoulders. You need to distribute that to us, the elders. He said, I think that you like to have a plan where it's step one through a hundred well laid out and then you execute one through a hundred. I was like, check, check, and check. He said, right now, I don't think that's where we're at. I think you need to think of it like we are in the darkness and the sun is just peeking over the horizon. There's just a little bit of light in amidst the darkness. And we need a step towards the light. And the church said, oh my gosh, if you had some darkness in your life this week, this month, this corona crazy season, oh, if I could just bless you with the word that blessed me that I don't know a hundred steps from now, but that day until this day, I woke up and I said, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to step toward the, and let's say it together, step toward the light step. We're going to, Hey, this is a participation opportunity for you on three. We're going to say step toward the light. One, two, three, step toward the light, step toward the light, step toward the light. When you don't know what to do next, step toward the light. All right, let's pray. Let's preach. All right, you ready? It says in Matthew chapter four, when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, which is kind of where he was brought up. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake, which if Jesus always is going to the lake, I feel like I am justified in doing so as well. This I don't know how you feel about it, but I just feel like I'm, that's where Jesus wants me. And so he went and he lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. Now, I know that most of us in here aren't Old Testament scholars, but those are going to be some of the tribes of the Old Testament. When we talk about the 12 tribes that were born from Jacob, Naphtali was one of them that we're going to focus on in this passage. So he went down to this area of Zebulon and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah had prophesied this hundreds of years later, but we're going to find out the fruit of the process started thousands of years prior to this. 
And so Jesus was stepping out of one area, stepping into another area, and his stepping into that area allowed a prophecy that had been in the making for several thousand years to be fulfilled. And what was that? Hmm. Verse 15, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Man, if you aren't posting that on your Facebook, Instagram, whatever, Snapchat, man, I don't know what other verse you would need today than that right there. People that were living in darkness have seen a great light. People that were living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. I don't know if you needed a little light in your life this morning, a little light in your marriage this morning, a little light in the parenting process of starting online version hybrid. We've never, we don't even know what's going to happen. If any parents in here aren't stressed out, please let me know the secret to your success. And so if you need a little bit of light, I hope I can help you today. It says that they were dwelling in darkness, dwelling in the shadow of death. And that made me ask a question to set up the light that's going to come at the end of the message. What does dwelling in darkness do to us? What does dwelling in the shadow of death, what does that look like? And I come from a, a psychology background. So I'm fascinated by what the brain does when you put it under pressure, when you put it in certain situations. And we've performed a lot of social experiments on our staff along the way. And I've read a lot of case studies and there's been some really interesting ones whenever you have sound and light deprivation, whenever you put someone in a dark room. And there's two instances I'd like to bring out today. There's a, a poker player named Rich Alati, and he took a prop bet. Now, if you don't know what a prop bet is, it would basically be like someone that says, I bet I can do X. Like, I can jump this bicycle over that mountain, okay? Whatever it is, and then you would bet against it. Well, this poker player bet one of his buddies $100,000 that he could live in a room with nothing but a bed, a refrigerator, and a bathroom, but he would have to be in total darkness with no connection. No human connection, no electronic connection, no light bulbs in the room, 30 days. 30 days of darkness, 30 days of isolation. On day three, he started hallucinating. He said that he, he would be sitting there and all of a sudden the room would act like it was filling up with bubbles. He said it was, it was like a, a, a ghost was hovering over him and was like just following him everywhere that he went. It's amazing what happens when 
our brain is not getting input. When we are short-circuiting the process that God created for our brain to take in input, we know from scientific research that the brain will produce input that isn't there. That your eyes and your ears will start to create input that is in our imagination. Our perception starts taking pictures when we are in the darkness and then our brain believes the perception that became a picture. Does anyone see a danger? If a perception became a picture but none of it was real, but a person believed it was, There's another place up in Minnesota called the quietest room on earth. The quietest room on earth. They created a room that is a sound deprivation chamber. The walls are three feet thick. I think we have a picture of it. Three feet thick of concrete. And then they have all this acoustical treatment. Whenever they close the door, you have to sit down in the chair because when they turn the light off after 10 minutes, you lose all sense of equilibrium because your, your sound of you walking and the mnemonics of the room, they give you cues that allow your equilibrium to work. But when you are in a sound deprivation cham chamber, this, the sound in this room, we can listen to zero, we go all the way down to zero decibels. Well, some of you, as you get older, you can't listen to that low, but, but whenever, Whenever you get in this room, it is negative 12 decibels. So they say that when you sit in this room after 20 minutes, it feels like the room is closing in on you. It feels like a, like a pressure, almost like a claustrophobic feeling because you're hearing what happens is the Bible, or the, God, the way God created us, it turns up. So it takes your eyes. When you're sitting in the darkness, at 45 minutes, your eyes will have opened up as wide as they can. Like your brain is telling your eyes, open up and try to get some glimpse of something that's in this room. And then your ears will turn up. And they said that the people, it will be like the heartbeat inside your chest is literally the sound of a drum. Like if someone was kicking a bass drum, boom, boom, boom. That's what it sounds like when your heart is beating in this room. They said that they can actually even though they can't, they imagine they can hear the blood flowing inside their body, that everything is exaggerated and most people can't stay in this room for more than 30 minutes because they are completely isolated and cut off from sensory information. And I started thinking about this, these people, these Naphtalites, they were in here, they were dwelling in darkness. And I started seeing some correlation that whenever we are living in isolation as a result of the coronavirus, I think that, that we are not meant to live in isolation. And the church said, Amen. I mean, right? You are, not, you are not meant to live in isolation. And then what happens, I think, I think I've talked to a lot of pastors recently, and what I think is like, in the absence of community, in the absence of interaction, in the absence of input and information, we are prone, we are prone to start making up things in our minds. It could be in your marriage. 
It could be with your inner, it could be with your neighbors. Have you ever seen someone that like, they take a conclusion and they make up a story in their mind that fits their conclusion? I know she saw me and she didn't even say hi to me. I know she saw me. What if she didn't see you though? Did you hear what she said? I know what she meant. I didn't get a text to go to the thing. I saw them post on social media. They must hate me. I posted this and no one hearted it, but they hearted someone else. They're trying to send me a message. Any, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody? We see a picture, we have a perception. Then that perception, when it has created this image, we have to now go back and backfill the information with a story that is totally based on speculation. Oh, darkness is dangerous. Darkness is dangerous. Man, I'm telling you, we need a little bit of light. During this corona crazy season, man, God's people, I think we're being put to the test. I think we're put to the test. Like that test is like, are you going to hold on to the light? Or are you going to slide into the darkness? Are you going to open your word? Or are you going to allow your brain to sit in a sensory deprivation, a spiritual sensory deprivation chamber where after 10 minutes you're hallucinating? After 20, after 60 days. How long has it been? I don't know. Your brain has started to, to move away from truths. It takes discipline in the midst of this craziness to hold on to the light. What does darkness do? Isolation gives us bad information. Show me a couple that starts wobbling, waffling, and they start isolating from each other. You tell me if you've ever been in a relationship where one party started isolating from the other, you tell me the time that that makes it better. I've said it for a long time, I'll say it again, distance, almost always creates distance. So when a couple goes to their neutral corners, I'm not saying there's not time for like a, a timeout. I mean, but when we take a timeout, we need to put a time on that timeout. <laughs> that timeout isn't for weeks. It, it isn't for months. I think the Bible's pretty clear. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So I just usually go outside and I'm just like, I tell Carrie, I'm waiting. And I just watch the sun. Man, we need some light. It said that this light was able to shine into the darkness. That the light was able to come into the shadow of death. 
When it says shadow of death there, just understand this. It literally means like the darkness is so thick that you feel like you're going to die. Has anyone in here ever, ever felt like that? You ever had a day like that? Where that darkness just started wrapping its arms around you? You could feel it. You feel all alone. You feel like no one could possibly understand how you feel, how you got here. Boy, I think the enemy likes to work in that darkness. He might even whisper to you, where is your God? Where is your God in this darkness? Where is your hope in this darkness? Jesus said when he heard John had been arrested, he went up seemingly on a rando journey to Galilee. And as he approached there, it says it fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which was that Jesus would enter the land of Naphtali. But then I had to put my theological thinking cap on. And for those of you that would like to dive a little deeper this morning, I'm just going to ask you to hold your breath because here we go. I started thinking like Naphtali, huh? What does Naphtali mean? You know what Naphtali means? My struggle. My struggle. Do you know the backstory on Naphtali? We'll get to it in just a moment. How did that light get there in Matthew chapter 4? How did that light get? What did it take for that light to get to this darkest place on earth? That the shadow of death had wrapped its arms around Galilee, around this this future inheritance that was Naphtali from the Old Testament. And now Jesus is stepping into, oh, wait for it, my struggle. That the, the light is coming into my struggle with darkness. And I started going back in the time machine and I wanted to think about some of the events that led up to this. And I want you to think with me. There was a guy named Abraham in the Old Testament. And it says he was out in Ur of the Chaldees. Do you know where Ur of the Chaldees is? No, no one knows where Ur of the Chaldees is because it was in the middle of nowhere. God has the ability to find you in obscure places that no one even knows where you are, but yet God knows exactly where you are. And he has a plan that he has written out before you were even conceived of exactly what he would like you to do. And here is God saying to Abraham, will you follow me? Will you leave everything for me? And Abraham amazingly says, yes, I will go. And now Sarah is barren. His wife, she does not have the ability to conceive child. And, and now listen, God has to open her womb from a miraculous point of view in order for her to have Isaac. And then Isaac is betrothed to Rebekah. 
And the Bible says that it was an arranged marriage, but it was love at first sight. Only God can do something like that. I, I mean, his dad sent a servant to go find him a wife. And I imagine Isaac was like, oh, Lord, what's, what are they going to bring back? And then Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob, does everybody know about Jacob? Jacob was always taking shortcuts. Jacob was not the firstborn, but God said he was going to be the one that was blessed. How is that going to happen? He steals his brother's birthright. He <laughs> basically cons his uncle Laban. And everywhere he goes, he's just kind of shady. Shady McShaderson Jacob is what his name is. And, and yet that gives me hope in an odd way that if God can use you from some of us, started in bad places. Can I get before you knew the Lord, you, you might've been a little different back in the club. Uh, you know, I just, huh, just, just looking around here. I think we got some club people recovering. And so God can find you even when you're in dark places doing dark things. And all of a sudden he has to work 14 years for the right woman. I don't want to hear any man complaining about, oh, we had to date. I had, oh, I had to do this. I had, well, yeah, we dated a year. We dated 14 years. But everyone in here that found the right woman, is it worth it to wait for the right woman? Mm, say amen. If you didn't wait, say oh me. I don't know what said that in here. <laughs> the right woman. It says the next day, they begin to have the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was the, I believe, fifth son that Jacob had. And Rachel was barren as well. So he worked for the right woman, then she was unable to have a child. So she called her handmaid in, which was kind of their custom. Her name was Bilhah. Now, I don't know, but Bilhah doesn't sound like a looker compared to Rachel. <laughs> Bring old Bilhah in here. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. You thought the Bible didn't have some, some tabloid type stuff. It does. They bring in old Bilhah, and she conceives and has Naphtali. Rachel, after all the other kids had been born, manages to, not all of them, but most of them, manages to finally conceive miraculously again, and she has, anybody know? Joseph. Coat of many colors? Joseph. Man, in order for this light to get here in Matthew chapter 4, can you imagine all the ways it could have gone wrong? Joseph gets betrayed by his brothers, sold to some gypsies, who then turn around and sell him to, uh, uh, as a slave to this owner in Egypt. He rises up in prominence to that owner, only to be falsely accused of rape and then thrown into the dungeon. And we would be looking on the outside in going, what has Joseph done? He must have sinned some incredible sin because from the outside looking in, it looks like God has cursed him. When God from the 
inside out is saying, no, I got him right where I want him. Boy, you better have the light in your vision because you can start beating yourself up and you can start saying to yourself, I must be cursed if I'm having all of these things that aren't going my way. But what if God is just positioning you for the greatest season of your life? And the church said, oh, 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 Joseph is willing to endure it. Willing, oh, and then when he has his moment, his sweet moment when his brothers come bumbling in to take his revenge. God touches his heart. He goes out of the room and he's weeping. His brothers that betrayed him have now come seeking refuge. Oh, it would have been so easy. Throw them in the dungeon, lock away the key, and let them know what I felt. <sighs> Yet Joseph steps back from the feelings that are right in front of him. And he says, now God had something bigger in mind. They meant this for evil against me. But God meant it for good. Oh, I don't know who I'm talking to in here this morning. Yes, they have evil in mind for you. Yes, they do. Not everyone is for you. Some are your foes. And some of them are stronger than you are. More resourced than you are. Maybe their lack of character will allow them to say things that you won't ever say. And you could feel like you're in a defenseless position. But can I help you out this morning? What they mean for evil, God's going to turn it around and use it for your good. And not only your good, he's building a testimony that is, in, that is, that is trying to save the entire world. Joseph goes down into Egypt and some 400 years later, God raises up Moses. Moses takes the people out of Egypt miraculously across the Red Sea, hands the baton to Joshua. Joshua goes across the Jordan River on dry ground. They stack the stones on the other side like we have stacked them here today. And, and as they're walking out, they have to fight 31 kings. It takes them 14 years to defeat all these kings. And now they finally divide the inheritance. And this is the day that Naphtali, in the order of the 12 tribes, he's number 11. He was almost like, do I even get anything? And the 11th time, the 11th person, Joshua says, oh, Naphtali, get up here. This is your land. Now, all those people had to do all those things so that hundreds of years later, Isaiah could say, in the land of Naphtali. And I started thinking, like 31 kings, I bet at 15 they were tired. I bet at 17 they were exhausted. I bet at 30 they were like, is there any? 31, 31, we're going out again. We're going out again. We're going out again. And 31 fights in order to get the land that God had promised you. And man, I don't know if this is encouraging you, but it's encouraging me because I thought to myself, how did we get here and how are we going to get there? What we're going to do is step towards the light. I don't know all the rest of the steps, but I can tell you the step we're going to take today. We are going to step towards the light. 
And as we begin to win, God begins to work. And I know what the destination is, but I don't have to know how we're going to get there. Because in Matthew chapter 4, if you would have asked anybody, how is the light going to shine in the darkness? How is this light going to shine in the shadow of death? Not one person could have ever predicted all those things that had happened in the past, but yet God had it right on time. I'm telling you, he has your life on time. If you're stepping towards the light, you are on time. I don't care what it looks like to the others on the outside when you're down in the dungeon, when you've been sold out and betrayed by others. God is positioning me for the greatest moment of my life. And that is my word to you today. Step towards the light. Let's pray. Yeah, we could give it up. Let's give it up for God. Father, we pray. We pray, God, for those sitting in darkness. Those that are on the verge of letting go of hope. They would ask themselves, how did the light get here today? that they would realize that God has stacked moment upon moment from eternity past for you to hear this word on this day. You might be tempted to be thinking about how this word applies to everyone else. God is saying, this is how this word applies to you. If you're sitting in darkness today, if you felt like Hope is elusive. If you felt like you were cursed, even though you were following after God, can I help you today? If you just hold on, hold on during the dark season, what you're going to experience on the other side is going to be sweeter, it's going to be better, and it's going to be bigger. Though weeping may last for the night, the joy is always going to come in the morning. It's amazing how that verse sets up that the sorrow is during the dark. But when the light rises, so does my hope and so does my joy. Today the sun is rising at Genesis Metro Church. And I pray that he would rise in your heart, that you would experience him fresh today, that you would experience the Spirit of God moving inside you, that your faith might be rekindled into a fire, that you might hear him speak to you again. And don't badger him, all you control freaks, for a hundred step plan. He's asking you this morning, step towards the light and I'll do the rest. Would you stand and worship with us?